You know, I've served in lay Catholic ministry for the last 18-ish years, and in that time, I've learned some things. And one of them is that if you want people to look at you like you might be crazy, bring up spiritual warfare. It works at staff meetings, parent meetings, football practice, or pretty much any place that people gather. Christians as well as non-Christians will give you that confused dog look. You know the one, when they sort of cock their heads to one side just a little. You may even notice people step back a bit, just in case you're gonna do or say something else crazy. I've seen it many times, and you know what? It's a tragedy. Spiritual warfare is real. There is a devil. There are demons. They are active. They hate God, and they hate you. And that's a truth taught by the church. And yet, it seems to take people by surprise. I once knew a very wise priest who would say, Ah, yes, we're all victims of the Enlightenment. And what he meant was, just because we can explain some things in the physical world through scientific means... We've become trapped in the idea that the only things that are real are those that can be explained through scientific means. The problem is, science is only good at dealing with phenomena that takes place in the physical realm. Demons, and angels for that matter, are not material. They're spiritual. You are spiritual as well, but you're not just spiritual. You're physical and spiritual. Science can't explain your spiritual reality. Why is this important? Well, the Catechism of the Catholic Church tells us that this dramatic situation of the whole world, which is in the power of the evil one, makes man's life a battle. The whole of man's history has been the story of dour combat, with the powers of evil stretching, so our Lord tells us, from the very dawn of history until the last day. And finding himself in the midst of a battlefield, man has to struggle to do what is right, and it's at great cost to himself, and aided by God's grace, that he succeeds in achieving his own inner integrity. In his letter to the Ephesians, St. Paul puts it this way, Our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but with the principalities, with the powers, with the world rulers of this present darkness, with the evil spirits in the heavens. What the church is saying here is that we live on a spiritual battlefield. And that's true whether we like it or not. And it may sound scary, and apart from Christ it would be, but in Christ it's something we need to be aware of, but it's not something we need to fear. A look at the New Testament letters attests to something incredible. They declare that in Christ, we are the adopted sons and daughters of the Lord. St. Paul says that we're co-heirs with Christ. Jesus has authority. As co-heirs of the Father, we too have authority. And because of that, the demons do not have power over us unless we give it to them. And in Christ, we have power over them. Okay, how does that work? We get some incredible insight into this in Matthew chapter 4's account of Jesus' temptation in the desert. Immediately after his baptism in the Jordan, the Spirit of God leads Jesus into the wilderness. And for 40 days and 40 nights, he fasts. Now, by the end of that time, he is, as you might imagine, physically exhausted. And then the devil chooses that moment to mount an attack. Okay, lesson one, take care of your physical health. When we're tired, malnourished, or exhausted, we're less prepared to fight the spiritual battle. And the devil is an opportunist. He will attack when he believes he has the most significant opportunity to wound us. You can take away some of his chances by taking care of yourself. The other side of that is, be aware that when you're run down, the devil may mount an attack. And with that said, we would be wise to take note of how the devil attacks. He doesn't appear to be a ghastly beast clothed in shadow reeking of sulfur. Interestingly, there's no description of the evil one's appearance at all. All we get is a record of what he says. Lesson two, most of the time, 
demonic attacks are not going to come physically or in an immediately recognizable way. In Genesis, the devil is described as the most cunning of the creatures. So in his cunning, he will often whisper his attacks, hoping to go unnoticed. He knows that if he can get his victims to willingly ingest the poison of his lies, then he's established a foothold. So let's look at what the devil says to Jesus. It doesn't actually seem very threatening, but that doesn't make it less dangerous. See, the devil takes truths and he twists them into lies, and typically he does this to undermine the believer's faith in God or the believer's identity in Christ. The devil tries this tactic against Jesus, and let's look closely at what he says. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Okay, the lie is two-part. First, the devil tries to undermine who Jesus is in the Father, if you are the Son of God. And second, he tries to get Jesus to place his trust in his own power instead of the Father's, command these stones to become bread. The devil tries to undermine Jesus' identity in the Father. Jesus is the Son of God. You and I are the children of God. But the devil knows that if we truly understand that, well, he's powerless. And so he seeks to undermine it. If you are the Son of God. Telling Jesus that he can just make the stones into bread if he really is the Son of God, he's telling Jesus that he doesn't need to rely on the Father's faithfulness. In essence, he's saying, you don't have to wait for the Father to take care of you. You can take care of yourself. And that's very similar to the lie he sold Adam and Eve in the garden. You will become like gods. And sadly, it's a lie that's firmly taken root in modern Christianity. How often do we actually live our lives in a way that's dependent on God's faithfulness? Now, Jesus doesn't fall for it. He rebukes the devil's lies with truth. He quotes the scripture regarding God's provision. The devil does not, however, stop trying. Jesus continues to rebuke each attack and ultimately commands the devil to leave. Get away, Satan. Lesson three, we should not tire of rebuking the evil one and never enter into agreement with him. Jesus doesn't allow the voice of the deceiver to soothe him. When it's recognized, it's rebuked, and when it returns, it's commanded to leave. And that's precisely how we should handle spiritual attacks as well. When the devil whispers lies about who we are in Christ, when he holds condemnation over us for confessed sin or wounds, when he seeks to undermine the Lord's authority in our life, when a spirit of oppression, depression, or attack comes against us, we need to do what Jesus showed us how to do, rebuke the lies of the devil with truth and command him to leave. Christ's life is a template for our new life. The Holy Spirit is calling us to live in Him as He lived. Spiritual warfare is part of it. In Christ, we don't need to be afraid, but instead, we're called to stand in truth, trusting in His mighty authority that we have a share of, and in His name, we rebuke the deceiver. This has been the Weekly Word from Everyday Catholic. Everyday Catholic is a 501c3 nonprofit, and we depend on the support of listeners like you. If this podcast is serving you, please consider going to everydaycatholic.com forward slash donate and making a monthly pledge.